Hi, everyone, and welcome to Location is Everything, Tango's podcast about all things retail real estate. Recently, we held our annual Locations Everything Summit, which was chock full of great roundtable discussions and presentations from retailers and other industry leaders that explored the shifting post-COVID consumer and the resulting impact on the retail and restaurant business model, with a specific focus on the brick and mortar side of the business. We've packaged some of the best sessions as podcasts for those who are more on the go. If you're interested in listening or watching additional sessions, check out this episode show notes for details. Enjoy. All right, so let's jump into the panel itself. As I mentioned, a great group of very experienced individuals joining us here to kind of talk about COVID and post-COVID and and how that's impacting store formats, how uh, retail organizations are are trying to deal with that reality and and change and shift. So uh, I'm not going to attempt to introduce all of the guests because uh, it never has worked very well for me. So I'm going to take that risk off of my plate and hand it over uh, directly to our guest today. And why don't we start with you, Michelle Walsh from Wawa. Hello, uh, I'm Michelle Walsh with Wawa Incorporated. We are a chain of about 935, I believe, as of today, convenience stores across six states. Um, We specialize, as far as a point of differentiation, in an extensive food service offer um, and more food food service oriented or QSR type setup for convenience store but certainly have over, uh, I think it's 780, these numbers change every day, uh, stores that currently feature fuel as well. So really a shifting business model for us over a series of years. Um, I work in the area of existing stores and modifications to existing stores, remodels and things of that nature. Awesome, welcome, thanks Michelle. And we'll just kind of go in order of the pictures here. So Stephen, why don't sure. you go now? Absolutely. Good afternoon, everybody. My name is Stephen Mulligan. I work with a company called Multi-Site Solutions. We are a company that supports anything and everything from um, customers' portfolios. So design services, survey, uh, construction management, portfolio management, and program, program management. Um, we service clients in the retail, restaurant, QSR, fuel spaces. Um, some of our big clients that I service are 7-Eleven, Walmart, um, and Matter Health, um, but our company has over 55 clients in our portfolio that we support. So my role as an operations director, I get to be the client lead and uh, help see their visions across the finish line. Awesome. Thanks, Stephen. And Catherine? Yeah. <clears throat> Hi, everyone. I'm Catherine Huff. I'm a partner um, in PwC uh, in the real estate team. And I, I lead our occupier services team. So any of PwC's clients that use a substantial amount of real estate, uh, they fall into our occupier services division. So we support them uh, from a strategy perspective, technology analytics uh, perspective as well. So happy to be here. Thanks, Bart. I'll go ahead and dispense with the slideware and we can get up close and personal, which is what everybody wants. Um, for the roundtable discussion. So thanks again for joining. Um, I think what might help, and you guys touched on it a little bit, um, maybe starting with Michelle, uh, you've you've talked about the portfolio, maybe a little bit about uh, the company, your role. Um, If you want to expand on that, then uh, Catherine and Stephen, you can do the same as it relates to the types of uh, of customers that you support. Sure. Um, 
My my focus in my role primarily is on uh, refreshing the brand in our existing stores. So as we talk about changing environments and to try and kind of foot it back a little bit, I don't deal with the net new, I deal with the existing. So the 900 plus we currently already have, how do we adapt them either through remodel, a platform rollout, uh, general maintenance refreshes or activities such as those, even infrastructure improvements that we need to do periodically. So that's my primary focus in my role. And it's it's kind of germane to as things change. So in some ways, it certainly takes longer to make adjustments on new stores, uh, kind of from ideation and going through the permit process. But uh, there is a lot more extensive work that needs to be done to change or recondition your portfolio of established stores. So that is my focus. Yeah, I can piggyback on that. Very similar in a lot of what I do to support our clients. Um, a lot of what I focus on currently is on the acquisition side. So taking um, snowflakes that are getting merged into whether it be a rebrand, a refresh, or um, putting our fingerprints on that location to make it my clients. Um, remodels then happen into that after a change in controls. There's an element of that as well. And then we also do new builds, ground ups, um, raise and rebuilds on the McDonald's side. Uh, it just kind of depends on what the client's looking for from a rollout perspective. So it can be anything from initial branding or a shelf initiative or complete uh, rollout of a new site initiative, drive-through initiatives, et cetera. And with, um, with a lot of our clients, we, we tend to focus on the, the project management component of, um, of doing remodels. Um, and uh, as of lately, we've been doing a lot around the analytics of, um, you know, what needs to take place in those remodels, the strategy behind that, um, and kind of where do they want to be in the next few years as well. Well, it's been an interesting uh, year and a half, and it'll be an interesting several years to come. So I want to just get a flavor, uh, maybe again, starting with you, Michelle, what was the, what is the, the impact of COVID on the business? How have things changed uh, for you? And then Stephen and Catherine, maybe uh, a composite of your clients. Sure. I think after kind of the initial shocking, shuddering change, the changes have been more subtle um, and, and longer term. There's no, no reason to think it's a, it's a permanent correction just yet, but We've seen shifts primarily in two areas. Uh, one, as it relates to growth of delivery um, and off-prem um, curbside as well, that we're seeing not just the need to accommodate that business, and we've worked to do that, but also a changing complexion of uh, the size of the transaction, right? So a significant increase in the size of transaction. And there's labor components and labor necessity that, and adjustments that come with that. The other thing, again, a subtle shift that, that kind of creates big, big changes is the shift in time of day for our customers. We had a very strong um, morning day part, we'll call it from 5 a.m. to around 11. That has weakened. It has been very much replaced by the 2 p.m. to 5 p.m. time zone. 
um, which we typically, uh, we've been trying to crack that nut for some time, right? So that's exciting news that we're getting customers in our store there, but but we've seen a shift in, in a very congested morning um, and how do, you know, we obviously want everything, how do we get that morning back and keep that afternoon? Um, so that's really what we're working on now. So really the, the quantity of the ticket and the number of transactions by time of day have changed significantly coming out of the initial shocks of COVID. Yeah. Do you contribute some of those shifts to, or a lot of the shifts, um, at least lately in particular, uh, relating to the lack of return to work? Um, so you're your you know typical generators of homework shopping uh, yes. you know distributing the, the flow from those becoming more residential maybe more single trip in nature yes i mean we you know in the convenience business we're in high volume high frequency kind of workspace right so um the change in school and and kind of work from home has had a significant impact. September is going to be very interesting for us as we see what happens as school comes back in session. You know, quite frankly, what do the parents do? Do they go, do they go back to work or um, do they continue working remotely or is it some blend of the two? And there is certainly some thought that some percentage of that loss that we've experienced in that day part is not coming back, at least not anytime soon. And so how do you recondition the business and kind of shift things around? Sorry, Catherine, you're about to jump in there. Yeah, I, I was just gonna say, um, just building off of what Michelle was talking about, um, I think obviously every client saw behavioral shifts. Um, and I, I think, you know, the the key was kind of being able to respond in a meaningful way within the right amount of time. Um, and it, it sounds like like Wawa was able to, you know, adapt and respond quickly, uh, you know, roll things back if that's not working. But um, I, I think a lot of clients didn't have the infrastructure in place in order to, um, you know, to measure the behavioral change and then to respond to it. So I, I think that's been um, one of the key factors or success factors um, with a lot of companies uh, throughout COVID. I was going to add to that. I think there, my clients have also seen a change in the associate and staffing the associate and what that looks like and how they're pivoting and, and looking at their workforce differently based on either availability or limited workforce availability. Um, and then still how to understand that ever-changing customer behavior that Michelle was talking about. Are we just replacing something that we previously knew or are we shifting that employee's role a little bit to look differently? You know, that grab-and-go type environment or the DoorDash environments, like retraining that associate because the customer is shifting too. And the DoorDash elements of the are, are just as much a customer as, as we see the people coming in and out of the door. So it, it looks a little bit different and they're, they're pivoting their associates behavior um, and trainings and how they're staffing to, to meet that. Yeah, we've, we've heard that theme consistently today through a, a number of the sessions. You know, one is labor shortage. Uh, two is, you know, you need a different type of associate to do different things that facilitate the delivery or the pickup um, in, in addition to, you know, changing the format of the store itself. So with the increase in delivery and pickup, what kind of wrench has that thrown for you operationally 
your clients or uh, Michelle for, for Wawa in trying to handle a little bit of a, a mix in, in how, how business is done? I guess I'll go first. <laughs> I'm first somehow <laughs> in all this. Um, I, I would say that that primarily there's really two key elements. One, we tend to, in our industry, in the business we're in, we leave not a bit of space unoccupied by some activity. Um, and one of the large things that delivery, curbside, those sort of uh, non-immediate transaction activities need is ramping space, is some, some open space for staging that we are working through. We have come up with some pretty quick and easy solutions on how to handle that. Um, that is a real issue, but we feel like we've addressed it at least on a small scale and probably will uh, a little more elaborately go forward. The bigger issue is actually the volume of an individual order and the size increase. So what where Wawa has always excelled is the onesie twosie order. We do that extremely well and extremely efficiently. If somebody via delivery, which is not uncommon, goes ahead and orders 10 sandwiches, we have mucked up the works from a production perspective. And, and so those 10 sandwiches are now in front of, in the queue, a bunch of people who are actually standing in the store that have ordered one and two units, like our typical model. So balancing those two things is our biggest challenge. And we are working through the best way to do that, whether it is, uh, to Stephen's point, dedicated labor in order to just work the delivery or um, a different model as far as how we handle the queuing of these orders. And we haven't quite figured out the best method. In some cases, the best method is to change it based on what's going on at any individual store, which is not something we love, right? Is to have a varied policy across varied things. But some stores are doing far more delivery orders than others. And so how do you create a policy or procedure across the plane when it's not necessarily best for a certain group of your population? And also what type of orders that they're experiencing. You know, you think about what's available to them in the C-Store environment from a frozen product to a cold product to a warmer product. And then if you have a, a larger volume of those warmer items, do you, the, the, the real estate is limited. It's maxed out already. And so what what is that customer behavior telling us right now that we can slice something or reshift something else in order to reallocate and move it? Um, and then going back to that staffing element, is it does it make sense as we're limited with the resource to even think outside the box of what um, the store is? You know, is it simply just a a grab and go and a DoorDash type environment and creating that last mile type of entity, um, not just uh, on the C store environment, but anything in retail as well? Yeah. I've been, uh, yeah, we, we had um, a pretty significant project this year to that um, to that point where we were looking at a client's um, portfolio to see which of their stores should be turned into distribution centers because um, they were seeing from the analytics that, you know, within different pockets, it made more sense to just focus all of that real estate on um, on delivery um, as, as, as the primary model. So, yeah. 
Stephen, um, outside of C-Store, you know, obviously you're dealing with a lot of QSR and some big box. Are there similar problems where, you know, everything is accounted for, everything's purpose built within the store um, or the restaurant and this delivery and pickup is really uh, throwing a wrench into things? It has, it changes the model of, um, of how the customer interacts with the business. Um, and when you think about the queuing, it's two different customer models that DoorDash um, individual and servicing them for convenience, for accessibility is different than how you're going to treat the customer uh, who's coming in and he's a menu who wants to have that face-to-face interaction experience. And so you see it on the QSR elements and you also see it in the big box retail. Um, there's, there's a lot of push for online delivery. Uh, how do I get in that queuing? And it's changing the shape of customers coming even in the door themselves. It's, it's a pattern of behavior where um, we're seeing complete shifts in, I once went into the box, the brick and mortar location, and now I can simply just do that on an application and avoid that traffic entirely. So then it, it creates different types of understanding of how do you market then? How do you look at you know placement of product uh, for a customer that's no longer in your store to see the product, right? You're trying to, to shift how you're getting them um, captured with what you're offering. And that, that, like I said, they're not even seeing it. Right. That makes sense. Um, so how are you solving this problem or are you solving this problem? It sounds like Michelle, um, you guys are almost not site by site, but you're, you're dealing with the reality of that given situation, that store, whether one channel is pick up more than another and then trying to look for ways to solve that. Um, but you know, you can't automatically create a more square footage in your stores. So what's the, what's the answer here? I think um, some of what we're doing is looking for new ways to deliver our current offer. And that's equipment changes. That's some differences in um, how we bring our current offer to our customers in addition to new offers, right? So, you know, Companies frequently focus on bringing the new thing, the next new shiny penny. We have done, we continue with that, but we've kind of parsed off a group to look at um, delivery of existing offers in a smaller footprint, right? And and how do we do that and therefore um, create the space needed in order to uh, provide what the changing complexion of the customer wants. Steven's exactly right. It's a totally different customer. Their need state is different um, and their kind of demands on our business are different. We also have to figure out how to handle the impulse purchase is no fun remotely, right? (laughs) there's, There's a lot of change in how you have to deliver that to the customer and particularly in food retailing, this is not something um, that we take lightly. So we are working pretty diligently to look at new ways to deliver what we already have and how to do that in a smaller footprint and more efficiently in order to create additional void space in in our packed out store to um, provide space to do these new things. I'm just going to highlight the equipment element of that, just the efficiency of equipment. And I've seen some initiatives exploring how to um, 
sometimes we, we, when we add a program into a rollout, there may be a, a duplication of a similar function. And so there's, there's push to say, hey, can, can we consolidate some of those things? Again, just trying to reduce overall square footage in the, in, the, in the building. What can we move to something else? Can we repurpose it? Do we have to have that? Um, and asking ourselves also just hard questions on, um, does the offering still have a seat at the table? Um, and it's shifted. I've seen shifts in, in that dialogue where some of those, what I would call legacy programs are not on the chopping block, but they're just being questioned. How, how do we, how do we refine those? How do we either bring it back to the table in a different light or like I said, modify the equipment to maintain the offering, but more efficiently. And I, I was just going to add um, one of, one of our clients, that's a grocery store. Um, you know, I, I think the first step for them was really thinking through which app or which platform to do this on. I, initially they had their own app um, and it made sense to kind of migrate that elsewhere. Um, they were also able to carve out part of their stores that were used as restaurants. Obviously, during the pandemic, people weren't coming in to eat. So they were able to, to change those, um, bring in fridges and, uh, you know, really ramp up the, the delivery efforts. Um, and then just from a process perspective, they had, um, you know, certain hours of the day when they would have um, staff do shopping so that, you know, the store wasn't inundated with, uh, with staff doing shopping all throughout the day. Um, so I, I thought those were pretty, you know, good solutions. It took a little while to get there, but um, pretty good solutions for that as well. Is it a uh, kind of a, a true programmatic view of this uh, and then getting approval to roll out, um, you know, the traditional way of going about that? I know I made the mistake of using the word prototype uh, with this group uh, when we were getting ready and uh, that's going to stick in the brain for a while. So there is no such thing as a prototype, everybody. It's a nice concept, but... Uh, you know, we, we started talking a little about, about this MVP or minimal viable product type of concept and how that can be used as a way to test and learn. If one of you guys could maybe jump in on that and explain that concept and, and how it's used. Sure. I'd love to, actually. We, we've been talking about this for quite some time as an idea and a concept. Like, you, you have enough to proceed give it a shot, let, let's see how it does in a store. I think the real first true viable test of MVP for us was during COVID in, in a real sense that we're saying we're not fully baked, go anyway, go all the way. Don't just go to 10 stores and see what happens. We have to go all the way. And now particularly delivery being one of those stories. And now we're saying, okay, now, how do we make it the most efficient? How do we set it up for success operationally in the store? Because we really forced ourselves to say, look, MVP can work, but not without some residual back end in which you are constantly modifying, you are improving. You're not taking a breath after deliveries all rolled out and saying, oh, thank goodness that's over, right? That was rough, but we got it done. Now we have to continue to innovate and improve on what we put out there. Um, meanwhile, yielding the benefits of that additional offer. Uh, so conceptually, I really think it was put to the test during COVID and has shown some merit, right? But we need to stick with it and continue to improve. MVP also has uh, an, an executive 
um, education component to it where you, <laughs> I see Michelle laughing, where you put out, you have to also supplement with the education like that, that go back element of it, that MVP, it's truly the minimal viable product to get it to a state of existence. It's not the state of optimization. And that we're just in a, an element of test and learn. And where that go back piece, if it's not clearly articulated on the front end, even just the ambiguity of it, it doesn't have to be completely known and it, it shouldn't be known because it's a test and learn space, but uh, some, some tripping hazards can be in the education of that MVP kind of holistically. We're going to push this out and the expectations of traditional rollouts at an executive level are great. We've done this. Let's go to something else. It's like, ah, well, we, we've done it to here, but there's also some things on the back end that we need to button up. Well, and to that point, um, since it's not a perfect test lab with, you know, double blind and everything you think of, how do you prove the sales lift for the investment? Or can you? Or is it more, you know, how is that ROI decision made with these types of touches to the existing store in an environment that's moving very rapidly like this? Yeah, I think it's, um, I think the key is, is having that real-time data and that real-time information and having someone who's um, designated to, to analyzing it and helping to make those decisions real-time. Um, I mean, for, you know, obviously during the pandemic, um, the grocery store example I, I mentioned before, that completely switched to having a, a designated delivery section of the store. Um, but coming out of the pandemic, uh, as people have started re to return to work, we've seen that in some of the urban locations, um, the lunch crowd is kind of coming back and we, we need that space back for, to accommodate them. So, um, you know, I, I think being able to adapt to that behavioral change, um, and only, you can only adapt if you have the analytics to, um, you know, to kind of back up your decision. Uh, I, I think that's kind of the key to, um, to doing that. So, I mean, I, I think the return on investment might be shifting as, as, as over the next few you know, years or so. Yeah. Michelle, how do you guys look at those investment decisions? Well, I think even building off uh, Catherine's example, there, there's reason to take a pause, right? And not, not kind of overcorrect many all of the things that we did were temporary in nature so far right so they were they were all things that were easily put up and quite frankly easily undone if if the business shifts back to the way it was or to some other reality um in addition to that one right so the idea is uh not yet to overcommit, but to be nimble in those adjustments and make them as frequently as you can knowing that um, figuring out how to invest and what your maximum investment can be in a time like what we just experienced is not necessarily the priority, right? And then you go back and look at it and you say at a time like now when things have stabilized a little bit, all right, are we even making money on this? Let's, let's figure this out. And the, the answers are, are strong. They're positive, but, um, in this particular case, which is also very rare, go first, figure it out along the way. And, and by figure it out, I don't just mean how to deliver to the customer. I mean, does this pay for itself and does this make sense? 
it kind of reminds me of a traditional product lifecycle, right? So it's going to go early adapters, you got to prove it out, then you optimize it, eventually you'll retire and move on to the next thing. So uh, it sounds similar to that. But you, you've it's talked a little about bit of a, a caveat there where it comes back and then goes again. You, where <laughs> you, you have it, it's kind of like a figure eight almost, if I were to redraw that. <laughs> um, well, and you talk, uh, Michelle, when we were prepping for this, you talked about kind of push and pull and, you know, the, the desire to touch the store, but then operations has an issue. And so how, how do you, how does operations come into play in these decisions about uh, what should and shouldn't be done at the location level? I have, I have said for, well, I've been at Wawa 22 years and I've said the whole time, if, if operations doesn't really like something, particularly on the food service side, for whatever reason, it's too difficult, what have you, it will fail. <laughs> it may take them a minute or two, but it will fail. Um, I, I think that their feedback is instrumental um, throughout the process. We certainly, we like to run typically a one model, which means you put a new idea in one store you babysit the heck out of it. You promote that to five stores. You also babysit the heck out of it. And then you move to 30. And once you're at 30, now you're frequently seeing what the reality is going to be. You can't babysit 30 stores. Once you get to those 30 stores, I've seen programs where we've completely changed our equipment package before rollout. We've done massive changes to program at that 30 step. During that 30 step, you are doing large scale analysis. You're really getting a control group together and understanding how a program is performing against a do nothing status. And you're really mobilizing to go on the broader scale. I think without those phases, um, you're flying blind a little bit, right? And, and we've, we've had to do that in a few cases recently, but um, that 1530 model, I would say the most important part and the easiest step to skip is the 30. And that is really where you understand from ops if this is going to fly or if it's not. Um, so it's a scaling question at that point. Can it sustain the scaling and interesting? Yes. Stephen or Catherine, any? No, I, I just have maybe something to dive into Michelle on and maybe a question on that, just understanding the test markets that you go into, because what we've traditionally seen is, oh, we feel like we're confident in these areas. Like we know what the customer is. We know what the behavior is. And when everything's turned on its end on who my customer is, how do you define the, the one five thirty uh, locations? It just feels like the ambiguity of who the customer is maybe could mislead your read of the room. It actually depends what, what we're looking for. So in, in 1530, frequently we allow uh, the system we use, APT, to actually pick the stores for us. Um, there are other times in which we do it by state because um, the restrictions, permitting, Board of Health, what have you, are driven by state, so our barriers to entry will vary by what state we work in. Um, so there's reason from an operational perspective to do it that way. Uh, but frequently we do it based on what 
the system is going to tell us is a representative sample of our population and of our categories of store against a defined control group in the same status. My, my question was, do you feel like any of that's from an not knowing our customer right now or figuring out their behavior shifts. We know our customer, but they're, they're shifting in their patterns. Do you feel like that's changed any of your outcomes in leaning into the data? Um, a little bit. In, in, in the way that it has is actually things seem to be doing, it, it's, you know, really great problems to have better faster than normal are early adapters there's a lot more of them and, and it's reaching critical mass much faster our last rollout of um burgers and fries has been a tremendous rollout for us that in in a pre-covid environment may not have happened did we think it would come near that no our data did not support um, the huge response that we've received. So generally, I think we've we've seen a more positive adoption of new platforms, new items than negative. But I hear your point. The 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 data is not ready to tell us that things are going to be quite as extreme either way as they have been over the past year and a half. That's exactly. Thank you. I'd say Bart also, you know, your question was around operations involvement. Um, I, I'd say that, you know, the the branding teams are also struggling right now as well, because um, a lot of the delivery um, is not through the, you know, the client, the store. So they they don't have control over a, like a, a big piece of the experience of, um, of, of, the, uh, of the store. So um, I, I feel like a lot of clients have been struggling with how to, you know, how to maintain that through this whole shift. Yeah, we've been hearing, you know, Opus is kind of, we're going to go into multi-channel more. We want that to grow. We want order online, pick up in store. Uh, we take away that risk of uh, third-party delivery. We get someone in the store. They can experience products in a way they can't online, as Stephen was mentioning. Um, and, you know, I, I don't know if it's the same for your guys' businesses, but we've heard almost to a T that, you um, you know, the margins in these different channels are not as good. So trying to figure out how to optimize that margin and that is part of these operational elements. It's part of a lot of things to try to, to get something that's more um, sustainable as those channels grow more. So absolutely. Um, okay, so let's uh, talk a little bit about the store of tomorrow, if you will. And I know Michelle, in your case, you guys have long development uh, timelines. Um, so it's a slow turning ship sometimes. Um, are you seeing any appetite to, whether it's from a pure location strategy perspective, or if it's from um, changing of the format itself, a greater appetite uh, uh, within Wawa to, to think differently about uh, omni-channel and location strategy and the format itself um, uh, on these new uh, uh, items that you're in the stores that you're rolling out. I know that's not necessarily your area of focus, but obviously sure. it intertwines with what you're what you're doing in, in your area. Absolutely. I, I think that the appetite is certainly there to explore new ideas. We opened our first drive-through only store um, 
in November, December, maybe it was the first week in December toward the end of pandemic. So we're, we're deeply exploring that. We also um, put together a bolt-on version to an existing store and we have uh, plans to test that further. Um, I don't know that we know enough quite yet. That's a large undertaking and it's a big shift in our business, but we are, we definitely have an appetite to look more deeply in those areas. We also have an appetite to look more toward a catering um, type model or a large, um, large sized order kind of opportunity, not dissimilar to what some other customers do. So the, the business lunch catering type of an idea, and we're moving in that direction as well. Those things really um, are not well suited to our existing format. And so we, we have to do some things to really commit to those as we work through and decide if they're the right direction for our business. Stephen, I know you do a lot of work with Walmart. Uh, they're ahead of the game, as you might expect, in, in some of this stuff. Uh, I think I saw a drone fly by a minute ago uh, with a Walmart. Uh, right. Yeah, Walmart has been very aggressive in that final mile solution in finding out what how the customer is responding to that convenience factor. Um, it's no longer just an online grocery pickup that I come to the brick and mortar to. It's still a, a great offering and they're succeeding in that. But how do they then take the product directly to the customer where they're at? Um, and there, there's a ton of initiatives out there to, like you said, the drone initiative they launched in Fayetteville, um, I believe North Carolina last year and what that looks like to uh, autonomous car driving and how that looks. And there's a lot of exploration of that final mile and how um, we can make it as convenient as possible for the customer. Absolutely. <clears throat> Catherine, I know uh, you've worked with uh, Walmart as well, maybe in an international capacity, but in general, what are you seeing across your clients and as it relates to this? Yeah, I think um, a lot of, uh, a lot of our clients are trying, in terms of the store of the future, they're trying to take out any friction points um, within the flow throughout the store. So um, trying to take out, you know, payment stations, trying to take out, um, you know, uh, like if, if you order similar things every day, just having that pop on your phone when you walk into the store that you're going to be picking that up um, or one of the three that you always get. Um, so just trying to profile their clients a little bit better and take out some of the friction points. Um, I think the struggle is they're trying to balance, uh, the, you know, the person to person experience with those friction points as well, because, um, again, with the brand, you want to make sure that, um, you know, that, that the person you interact with, maybe it's just the person handing you your bag has a big smile and, you know, it's, it's part of the experience. Um, but it, the focus is really around removing any of the friction areas where, where, where clients might be getting hung up. That's a good segue to the kind of technology side of things. And uh, we've had several sessions today uh, talking about the challenge in omni-channel to connect the dots in the buyer journey between the online experience and the offline or physical experience and how you can bring those together, whether it be technology with mobility data and other types of, of things, loyalty data. Um, and then there's the flip side, technology in the store itself, which also can play a role, uh, not just the technology that the consumer is using themselves. So give me a, a couple snippets on technology and, and areas you think that are interesting uh, both in the store and from an operational perspective that you think could kind of help in this environment? Yeah, I mean, I 
I will say it varies by country. Um, in, in certain countries, you can't, uh, you know, you can't control that much data on people. Um, and actually in, in the US, there's some restrictions around that as well. But um, I think the ideal scenario is to have, um, you know, a very uh, consistent experience between your online experience and your uh, in-store experience. Um, I think uh, clients are trying to move in a direction where they really have a strong profile of your spending habits, um, not just at their location, but anywhere else you go throughout the day. Um, and, and, you know, what brands are you buying? Um, you know, what brands complement the brands that are in the store that they might have um, and, and maybe swapping some of those out if they see that trend enough with them um, with customers. Um, so it really is kind of compiling, you know, maybe 10 sources of data to be able to get a really strong um, and accurate view of, of the customer. Um, and then once, once they're in the store, it's making sure that, um, that you give them access to the things where they're, they're going to spend, spend their money, you know? So um, making sure that uh, if there's a discount code that can pop up on their phone, as soon as they walk into the store, um, if you can already have their payment information on their phone so that they don't have to pay as they're leaving, they can just kind of grab and go. Um, you know, implementing things like that is, is definitely the direction that we're seeing. And a lot of it is mobile. Um, a lot of it is, is based off of technology incorporated into the phone. Um, what's been interesting during the pandemic is with contact tracing, a lot of that moved mobile as well. Um, and a, a lot of those uh, privacy walls kind of came down a little bit. Um, so I wouldn't be surprised if um, if we see kind of a ramp up of, of this kind of um, behavioral analysis um, with, with some of, with more stores uh, throughout the country. From the technology yeah, I mean, platforms. Oh, go ahead, Vern. No, no, I was just going to say one, one quick point on that. What we're seeing is, you know, if the consumer sees a value in opting into sharing that data, in other words, you're using it in a way to improve their convenience, improve anything like that, that they're obviously much more willing to carve out certain parts of data and not be worried about privacy in those areas because they get something in return. Absolutely. Sorry, Stephen, go ahead. No, I was just echoing some of what Catherine was identifying. Simplification is the theme from the technology platforms to make it um, pain-free as possible for that user experience on the application and not jumping between different platforms or even having to dive deep into it to find what I'm looking for. That, that Whatever happens on the back end of that to simplify my user experience is the common theme. Makes sense. Catherine, how about from a technology perspective? Are you, are you guys getting deeper and deeper into whether it be in-store technology or mobile technology to help the consumer experience? We absolutely are. Um, and I think that uh, both Catherine and Stephen are 100%. The, the idea is it needs to look and feel the same across, across any method of delivery, whether it's the mobile phone, whether it's online um, and whatever we have in store, that is a large ship to move. Um, it's easier said than done. And we're working to do that. A lot of these things have been bolted on over time, right? And we have to unpack and put it back together. The customization is a move that we're making in that we are doing custom experiences for our customers from a technology perspective as they come in, um, using our mobile app and, and loyalty and kind of building that up um, to be, quite frankly, what it should be, which is a standardized experience, regardless of how you choose to shop 
our store. Um, so it's spot on. It's simplifying by kind of decluttering years of development and consolidating it into one cohesive end-to-end -end idea. Okay, we have a few minutes here and I wanna kind of wrap up uh, with kind of getting a sense of, you know, do you believe the pandemic uh, for your clients or yourselves, uh, in, is it increasing the capital investment uh, into the portfolio? Uh, and is it also increasing the number of projects that are going on? And how do you see that being split between uh, existing stores and new stores? Yeah, I Oh, You're going to go first, Catherine. No, no, go, go ahead. ahead, Stephen. You, you haven't got to go first yet, so go ahead. <laughs> no, I was, I was just going to say the, the initial response to it, it just changed priority. As we were looking to do X, Y, Z rollouts, they stop, observe, shift. And now that we're coming kind of full circle, it's observation. And I don't, I don't see any slowdown in, in, in rollouts that just look different than what we'd initially assumed was going to be. Um, and I think there's some additional elements that um, from a, a program we may not have included had we not had the pandemic in a good way. Um, certain offerings that um, we probably, as Michelle was talking about, the, uh, the Fry initiative, like those types of things come up where it kind of gave certain things the gas to go. And uh, it has kind of allowed us to lean into that a little bit more uh, than we ever would have had pandemic not happened. So um, unfortunately positive uh, in our response to that question. Yeah, and I, I'd say it was, it's from what I've seen with clients, it's been positive as well. Um, there are certain industries within the retail sector that it has not been positive for, and they've had to do very dramatic shifts. Um, for example, a lot of the stores that were in malls and things of that nature. Um, but uh, I'd, I'd say by and large, it has been um, definitely a, a positive, you know, uh, a positive thing. I would agree um, with both thoughts. I think uh, we we stopped. We stopped dead, and and you know you heard the screeching tires as far as capital investment of any kind. Um, and then we turned things back on, and we've turned them on um, probably at a slightly more significant pace than they were at prior to, right? So um, we're moving quickly, both with major capital investment in new stores, um, and remodels as well as platforms. It's, it's all systems go. All signs are pointing to good right now, um, in terms of consumer interest in, in continuing to shop our stores in whatever way they choose to, um, and we'll be ready. Okay. Uh, last question for each of you, and you guys can pick your own order because I keep picking on Michelle. I don't know why. She's in the top right for me, so I just keep <laughs> going. Um, so uh, what's your advice for your peers uh, in the design and construction area or delivery area of how to assess changes to store formats in this climate? Uh, what should they be focusing on now versus longer term? What kind of advice would you give? Well, I can, I can start out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I, I, I would say, and I feel like I've been, you know, pretty much only saying this the whole time, but um, it's, 
you know, if you're not collecting and assessing, you know, the data and analytics to understand the behavior, then you're, um, you're at a disadvantage and, you know, you, you need, you know, it, it, it's a must and a necessity because as Michelle was saying, in the next two months, we're going to see another shift in behavior. And then in another, you know, three months after that, we're going to see another slight shift in behavior. And then six months after that, another shift. So um, it's the dynamic nature of what's been happening is not over. And, you know, we, we, we need to make, it's just, we've, we've had this break where we can actually catch up and make sure that we have, um, you know, the technology in place and whatnot um, to be able to respond quickly and um, appropriately. So uh, now's the time to set up the fundamentals to, to do that. Um, that would be my advice. I think, um, don't be afraid of the one, you know, I'm using Michelle's terms, the one five thirty. Sometimes it's in it. What I've seen in my past is we have an idea and it just takes a lot of time to get something churned and in motion. And our environment doesn't always give us the luxury of time anymore. And so when those ideas come up and it's something that you, you have a gut with, trust your gut and push for the one. And it may not get to five and it may not get to 30, but at least try. Um, my advice is just lean into that a little bit more. Um, there's a lot of great ideas that have come out of this because we were forced to do the one. Um, but look at the great that has come out of it. So I think a repetition of that um, can really set the industry in a different trajectory. Yeah, that's great. That's great. I think um, we're probably in the place where we need to spend some time working on a few things that we may not need at all, and that'll be great, right? So some some working through of, of various if then scenarios of things that could may or may not happen over the six next six to eight months to really be ready, at least to have a framework to proceed that if this happens, we're going to do that. Um, and here's how we react. And then really being able to understand how the consumer has shifted and how permanent it is over the next few months and, and have some plans in place to everyone's point, things are moving too fast for us to wait and see what happens and ponder it then. Um, we need to, we need to be reacting to a number of different possibilities uh, in equal measure right now before we know which one wins. Excellent. Well, uh, we're up at time. I really appreciate uh, our guests here today, Stephen, Catherine, Michelle. Thank you so much. I think uh, honestly, the touching existing stores and programmatic rollouts and things like that is one of the more interesting topics within the context of COVID that, that I've been having discussions with clients about, and you guys have uh, kind of brought that to life. So appreciate it. Uh, thank you very much. Thanks for listening to this session from Tango's Location is Everything Summit. For more sessions from the summit, check out the show notes for details. See you next time.